Good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. And here we are, we're pretty deep here in the book of Isaiah, looking at Isaiah chapter 50 today. It in many ways just follows immediately on what we had in Isaiah 49 this description, uh, a very, a very sad description of, you know, has, has this, uh, people been forgotten by God? The, the image of a, of a, of a woman who's, um, asking if she has been abandoned. And today that's actually how it starts off. You know, um, is there a certificate of divorce? You know, is this relationship done? Is it over? That's the sort of imagery that's being used here in this really dark place of wondering, you know, is is God still with us? That's the question we're looking at today. And of course, the answer is he certainly is. There's no way he could ever forget us. Today, we are joined by Pastor David Andrus, pastor of Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, also pastor to Not Alone Ministries, notalone.net. We're looking at Isaiah 50 together. Just, uh, it's, it's a, one of these chapters in Isaiah in these dark places, but it's well known and it's beautiful. And it just reminds us of what our Lord has done for us. Doesn't it? It sure does. And I love the way you said that it's beautiful in the dark places. And that's something that God gives us hope that there, even when things seem darkest, there is hope because he is there. Right. And, and we know that, like the psalmist says, that even the darkness is like light to him because mm-hmm. he is that light in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome him. Mm-hmm. So we're looking here at this at this chapter, and like I said, it does, it does seem to follow up uh, right on the heels of 49. In some ways, the first few verses sometimes actually are even grouped together with uh, chapter 49, but... Maybe for the sake of our, our listeners, maybe if they missed uh, last time on Isaiah 49, or just maybe even just kind of to refresh our memories, um, what other sorts of connections do you see with uh, 49 or the other chapters that have come right before this one here? Well, certainly he's dealing with a people that uh, feel abandoned, lost. It's speaking about the time when they're in Babylon, Um and they think that you know, back then, as I understand it, a lot of times the people thought, not that the Israelites were supposed to, but they sometimes creeped into this too, that the gods were gods of regions. Mm-hmm. And so if the people were picked up and taken away from Israel, they lost their God, their God lost them. He, and they're separated completely and forever from them. And so this is a huge lesson for them to learn that, God is not a God of regions. He's God of the universe and God of them. And even though circumstances of this earth seem to be grim and drear, he is with them and he will bless them. And he still calls upon them to be his people and to follow him as his people. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And I um <laughs> Yeah, what you were saying, you know, that this idea of, of regional gods, it reminds me, mm-hmm. this was already like a month ago already, but back when we were doing Isaiah chapter 36, we remember that the, the Rab Shekei, um, that, yeah. that that commander of the Assyrian armies, was sent to the gates of the city of Jerusalem. And, and what did he say? You know, he said, um, 
Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? <laughs> Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? You know, and so, yeah, that was the idea. Like, we, we've run through all of these countries like a steamroller, and we've crushed all their gods along the way. So that, and of course, it's a different situation. That was, you know, back in the first part of Isaiah dealing with the Assyrians. Now this is the Babylonians, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you were saying, but... I mean, that's the fear that because the Babylonians did actually succeed in crushing uh, Jerusalem, finally, it, it can feel like the Babylonians just destroyed Yahweh along with Judah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, uh, it is a very common thing. Um, um, oh, what's his name? Rawlings, J.J. Rawlings and the stories of uh, that he uh, paints in modern day language of the old Greek uh, gods and how they struggle mm. and fight against each other and and the Greek and Roman gods that idea is based upon that concept that there's a pantheon of gods and uh, they divvy up things one stronger at this time and then another one will fight and be stronger at that time and and people kind of wonder because there are waves of of, of strength and energy of nations uh, and and so when the Babylonians took over the people just were in total despair, not only to lose their country, their land, their people, their their homes, but they thought they also lost the God that protected them. And, and that's really where this these chapters come in and bring the centrality of a one God, not a multiplexy God or mm -hmm. a poly God, but that there is only one God. And how he brings this home again and again. And not only is it a one God who, because of our disobedience, is disappointed and frustrated with us. And though it seems like we are divorced from him, which because of our sin we are, he rescues us, redeems us, wins us back, buys us back. And oh, the pictures and imagery we have of, of a loving God who saves us even from our worst imaginable circumstances. Right. And, and, and so, and so we do have then this, this imagery, this, this family imagery that highlights that, you know, even though if God can feel far off, he, there's no way he's forgetting us. There's no way he's abandoned us. We, we, we saw last time in Isaiah 49, there's that, imagery it was um my goodness where, where was it i think it was i think it was towards the middle there but um that's right yeah it was back in verse uh 14 and, and then verse 15 right uh, zion said the lord's forsaken me my lord's forgotten me and then verse 15 can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb even these may forget yet I will not forget you. So, I mean, we have this imagery that's, that's showing how, yeah, you know, these things, they're, they're bad and it feels, God feels really far away, but there's no way he's actually forgetting us, even in the midst of all that. So, And, and with the imagery you just brought up, it's an yeah. another, another amazing thing. Not only is he saying, I've not forsaken you, but he's, he's trying to impart to us how much we mean to him. Yeah. If I and correct me, but generally speaking, up till now, God was thought of as more of a distant uh, king. Yeah, he did refer to uh, David as he is being father, 
But by and large, the imagery up to this point was more as a of a king in control of the country. But now he's changing the imagery to that of a family, even as you mentioned, a father and a mother, a child. And and that imparts with it more, uh, well, it, it imparts not just law and obedience to, to the king and all his commands, which we fail, but to a, of a forgiving, loving parent who will go to lengths to help their children, even from the muck and the messes that they get themselves in. Yeah. Well, I do think that, I mean, certainly, you know, the motif of like king is, is there a lot and, you know, God is the ruler of heaven and earth. But I mean, it, and even though uh, I think it is fair to say that maybe in the ancient world, generally speaking, God and the gods were thought of as perhaps a little bit remote and you, you had to just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of buy their favor. And even then it would, they would only give it to you for a moment until you, right. you know, kind of brought more tasty sacrifices or whatever. Right. Um, so there is that kind of idea of, of distance, but even in Isaiah, I don't, I don't think it's been um, totally exclusively that, I mean, we have seen in, in many places in the first part of Isaiah, the language of discipline, like the idea that God is disciplining his people like a father. Um, there was there was that kind of idea. And even when he does speak of the kings being a father to those kings, you know, we have to understand that rightly as, you know, those kings are representing the whole people. So I, I don't think it's totally unexpected then. When, like, for instance, last time we saw at the beginning of chapter 49, where it says, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. I mean, there is that sense where that does apply to the people of Israel, where, you know, even way back in the Exodus, where God refers to the people of Israel as his firstborn son. Um, and so so there, there is that sense. And even, I mean, the people of Israel sometimes forget that, you know, and they mm-hmm. sometimes they don't certainly act like God's their father, but the, the word has been there all along that, that gospel message that God has decided to be a father to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and pick it up and perhaps just read the first three verses just to get the ball rolling here. And as we do, would you say a prayer brother for us and for all our listeners today? Heavenly father, we thank you that we can come to you as our father, as dear children come uh, to their very special, not just caretaker, provider, but one who wraps his arms around us to protect us. Be with us and bless us today as we look at your word, especially that we might better understand your love and thereby be motivated, even as you are motivated to love us, we might be motivated to respond to you in a like way of love and service. Be with us and bless us. Through Jesus, our Savior, we ask it. Amen. Amen, amen. Always good to to recall that part of the catechism that we are invited tenderly to call our God Father as as we are in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and read the first three verses here and and see um, how how this is uh, fitting into this context that we've been describing to these exiles in Babylon who are looking for some hope in what seems like a hopeless situation. Here we have chapter 50 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, 
Where is your mother's certificate of divorce, with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to, to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a desert, their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. All right, so this, this word of God that Isaiah is speaking on his behalf, and it starts off with these this series of questions. And um, mm -hmm. the questions perhaps uh, seem jarring to us. You know, where is your mother's uh, divorce certificate? Uh, to which of my creditors... Um, have I sold you? So what are these questions getting at? I'm going to take it one step further prior to that, and then we'll get to that. Uh -huh. I almost think that, that uh, Isaiah is speaking of a time when um, um, Cyrus has said in 538, you may go back to your country. And so the call goes out by, the, by Jewish leaders. Hey, we can go back. We're free. We'll go. And, and the people say, why? Our God abandoned us. He, he threw us out. Why should we? And that's where these questions then come up. I think the people are asking, why should we go back? And, and they probably in a sarcastic voice said, God sold us in slavery or I divorced us, uh, like uh, sending a woman away uh, from her family and husband. And so God starts with that rebuttal uh, to those questions that might have been stated by these people in their unbelief that, you know, so where is this divorce certificate? I didn't. Where, where is the creditors? Um, what's amazing to me also, well, no, let me stop there. I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on the amazing thing first, maybe. Hmm. Um, well, no, I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead because it'll flow in. You know, when in a sense... We were divorced from God uh, mm -hmm. when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden said, yeah, I like this apple. I don't want God. I'll right. be my own God. They right. divorced God. And, and they sold themselves into slavery of sin. And so really the questions are, though, uh, rebutting the people in their despair, God is foretelling of what he would actually do, and that would be bring back of the one who was divorced, bring back the one who was sold in slavery by the payment he would provide. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's really interesting to, to, you know, think of, um, all of this and to consider, you know, how, how do these family relations tie together? The, the metaphors kind of get mixed and a little bit, uh, muddy, I think sometimes, but I, I do think that's a good point to, to think, you know, there's this divorce language and here's God saying like, Hey, it's a rhetorical question by saying, you know, where is your mother's divorce certificate and saying like, Hey guys, there's no divorce certificate here. Why are you acting like mm -hmm. this is final? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I mean, that, and that's really quite an astounding thing because you're right that in the fall, it's as if humanity tried to divorce God, you know, we separated ourselves and we said, you know, this is over we're we're, we're out of here. But in that context, um, a woman wasn't going to be able to divorce her husband just unilaterally, especially without 
um, like yeah. some really good cause. Like no uh, judge at that time was going to give that um, that any legal standing. Um, so as, as try as we might, right, to separate ourselves from God, that there is this sense that, you know, it, it, it can't be done, and, and graciously it can't be done, that even if mm-hmm. we've given up on God, he hasn't given up on us. And um, so th- this is this is interesting then, because I want to ask you what, you what you think of this, because here's God speaking uh, to these to these exiles, um, perhaps you know from the perspective of um, in the with this in the hindsight, you were saying the the proclamation of Cyrus saying, "Okay, hey, you can go back." Um, and so it's interesting then that God is speaking to them then mm-hmm. as the children of the would be, or, or perhaps just the child singular uh-huh, uh-huh. of of the would be divorcee. So how, I mean, how does that work then? So like, who if if who's who's the child and who's the woman if God is the husband? Very good question. And, and my first thought would drift to um, this is the next generation from those who were taken in exile, and so he's saying, "Show me the the, the divorce certificate that your parents got from me," meaning the mother. And so this would be the generation prior. That's where my mind first goes. Now, do you see anything more than that? Well, there is there is one thing that's interesting that the the, the people who are left, right, they're going to come back, mm-hmm. and, and there's mm-hmm. going to be this one term for them that's going to be consistently used, and it's, and it's at least in our English Bibles, it's preserved for us as Jews, which is very mm-hmm. interesting because prior to all of this, they're called Israelites, right? Mm-hmm. They're called the people of Israel all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But here, like after this point, once you get into, you know, like Ezra and Nehemiah or, you know, into the New Testament, it's it's Jews, it's Judeans, right? That's it. And so there is, it seems to be this this idea that the whole people of Israel almost is viewed as as the wife, as the bride, and the 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 produce of this marriage is then this small uh, gathered community of Judah, this remnant of Judah, this kind of post-exile remnant, because it is just kind of just that one tribe, um, j- just that's the one left. And you have mm-hmm. this language um, in some of the other chapters that we've been looking at that, um, like uh, the, the language, I think, of the, of the preceding chapter even, was this idea that, you know, there's this um, this child. It says in, in verse, was verse, back in verse 5, it says, um, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. There is, of course, we got, you got to talk about the multiple levels to interpret that on, but if you do take it that way, there's this kind of this sense of, like, the other tribes are kind of gathered together in this one guy who's left who is um in some ways the one who was always destined to be the last one standing that is uh the tribe of judah and then finally of course down to jesus who is a a descendant of judah yes right uh, who would be our savior yeah that that is a, a very good point thanks i did not see that right away but that does make good sense with the change of the name from israel uh, to, to Jews and, and Judea and Judah. Um, 
I wasn't sure how to handle that with the, talking about the mother's divorce when it's, he's talking, it seems like, the children. And, right. and besides that, even in a practical term, okay, if the mother was divorced, uh, that doesn't mean uh, the father would be from the children. Um, mm. Even in modern-day parlance, we, we find dads who um, uh, will take the kids and, and raise the kids, and, and uh, though the divorce happens between the husband and the wife, not the children. Mm. And so God is saying, hey, uh, though something happened in the past and there was disobedience, that's not about you. Yeah, well, and that's that's interesting that you bring up that. I'm thinking about, you know, at the end of Ezra, how actually at the end of Ezra, it is a very unique situation, and the the foreign wives are divorced, and their children are sent away, as in, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, you're kind of divorced, like, with your mothers in this particular instance. Uh-huh. So it wasn't, it wasn't sure. unknown in the ancient world for that kind of thing to happen, but in that situation, it was because of the mothers, right? It was because they were of a different people and they had foreign gods and all the rest. And so the children mm-hmm. suffered on, be, on behalf of the mother. But um, this here, here's God saying, like, look, there was nothing wrong with the, I mean, <clears throat> you know, of course, you know, we, we, we know there's always something wrong with sinful humanity. But you know, it's not not for the sake of the mother. It wasn't it wasn't that Israel was was bad. It's not that Israel was a bad people. Um, in a sense, it was like it was because of you guys. <laughs> it was because because of what you have done. You know, because um, and, we, and we saw this earlier in, in this uh, these last several chapters of Isaiah. You know, even though you were, you were supposed to be the the servant, you know, the faithful remnant. You know, you guys have been blind and we saw that we saw that even leading up uh, to this in the previous uh, section of Isaiah how you know there was there was Jerusalem there was Judah you know all that was left after the Assyrians got through with them mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. they were proving to be faithless as they made alliances with Egypt and as they failed to trust in God like Shebna you know, so so there they were. They were supposed to be the, the remnant, the the servant, the one that would unite the fractured people of God and and bring the, everyone back together. And even then, they were showing themselves to be faithless. So I mean, it's very it's very different. It's it's the child here that's actually the one who's to blame for everything. Now that's interesting because that puts a beautiful backdrop to what comes here in the next four verses. I don't know if you're ready to move on to them because it, it really shifts to the one who would be the one who would save uh, the people. And, and it moves from the people, the Jews themselves, that group of people, to one. Right. And there is certainly evidence even that today, uh, somebody who is of the Jewish faith, not the Christian faith, but the Jewish faith, recognizes that these verses say something special, and that it is about a Messiah, a person uh, who would be doing the vindication. Right. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and read these next three verses here. I think we have a little bit of time still before we have to go into our break. So let's take on verses four through six here. Mm-hmm. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. 
I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So yeah, now it's a very big change now. We're we're not. This isn't uh, in the voice of the of the woman who is who is wondering. You know, have I been been abandoned? This isn't the this isn't the voice of a doubting child who is saying like, you know, hey, I've been sent away with with mom, and like, where'd dad go? And um, you know, doubting God's power to save. This is the voice apparently of a child who is faithful and one who is taught is the phrase that's repeated twice one mm -hmm. who is not rebellious mm -hmm. well it's interesting too the one who is taught and and there there's um uh, it talks about um how he uh, listens and the tongue uh it, it brings to mind from several other places that this one who is taught first listens uh, before speaking, which mm -hmm. uh, is something I don't know about you, but I sometimes have a hard time with it. I'm I'm too quick to speak, and my tongue mm -hmm. will say things that that it, uh, if it were more informed, it would not have said. But this servant here, he listens. He yeah. listens to the word of God Almighty. He's not rebellious like the other children, but uh, he follows his father's words faithfully. Right. Yeah, no, no, I, I, that's just, I mean, it's just human nature, right? And of course, these days, it's uh, less that our tongues are too quick and more like our thumbs are too quick and on the cell phone, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it's, yeah. it's amazing how something happened 20 seconds ago and everybody's an expert and knows exactly what should happen and who's in the wrong and who's in the right and, you know, like, you know, judge, jury and everything, right? It's just like, whoa, mm -hmm. we're really, mm -hmm. really fast, aren't we? Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, certain, certainly there's a lot that we can relate to here, but we, um, we need to go into our break really quick, but everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 50 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 50, and we were just looking at this. I mean, there's this real tension here that there's there's this imagery of the family, of the mother, uh, who's seemingly been separated from God, but, but not totally yet. And then there's this child, and the question is, what kind of child is this? Is this a rebellious child, the one 
who really is the one who's who's been sinning and um, inquire, acquiring or loading up these transgressions and iniquities, is what it says in verse 1, to precipitate all this? Or is it a faithful child who first listens before he opens his mouth, one who's not rebellious? That was just the imagery we're looking at here in verses 4 through 6, and we were doing so uh, with our guest here today, Pastor David Andrus, pastor of Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis, and also pastor to Not Alone Ministries at not-alone.net. And so, yeah, this is this is quite the contrast. This isn't a child who's who's been who's quick to accuse God, right? But one who who listens. And the description, really, I mean, it's it's very it's it's a stark contrast too with what we've just been reading about in this portion of Isaiah, because you know earlier in Isaiah we, we were hearing how there's a servant who is blind, who is unable um, to do. The, the work of God and here there's this description of uh, not not a servant who's blind or deaf but what's it say here morning by morning he awakens he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught you know and so it, it's uh, just the opposite this is this is a servant who can see who can hear not the description that we had from Isaiah earlier when he was describing Judah and Jerusalem as being blind and deaf and lame and all the rest. What's amazing then, well, before I say what's amazing, I got a question for you. Hmm. Do you, do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I have a lot of them. <laughs> I'm the oh, oldest of eight. You're the oldest of eight. Did, did you and your brothers or sisters ever have fights at home? <laughs> Do we really need to ask that? <laughs> <laughs> With eight, I'm sure. Who's turned yeah. to the bathroom next? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. That's the thing about siblings. They they do fight. They will squabble. And and, and they, there's sometimes also the, the um, well, mom always likes you better, and, and dad always mm. goes to you, and he you're his favorite. And, mm. and, and we hear that story with Joseph and, sure. and his uh, 11 brothers and, and, and couple sisters. Was it right. one sister? Yeah, just one sister. Well, here we have, even as you described, this servant, um, first as one who is blind and deaf, but now as one who is fully capable. How would the people have heard this? It's fascinating because even as you were reading uh, verses four, five, and six, I was thinking, boy, uh, God's lifting up this servant who can hear, he's obedient, and, and that may have made the people mad. But yet, they did hear about this servant who was blind and who was struck. But then in verse uh, six, it talks about this servant who's the favored one by God. What does he do? He gives his back. He lets his beard be torn out. He's spit in the face. That for being the favored one, he sure doesn't get real good treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, not not at all. And that's uh, this transformation, right? It's 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 really striking because you've got. I mean, if if you do take it as kind of this is supposed to be. Judah, and, and and of course, as you were mentioning, the true Judah is only mm-hmm. found in Jesus Christ, who who's mm-hmm. you know he's actually from the tribe of Judah. Um, he actually inherits the throne of David and all the rest. He's um, you know the tribe of Judah just in, as as one person really. 
but if you kind of take a moment to kind of just um, step back and look at it broadly in this time and setting here, you can see how if before Judah is, um, you know, under Ahaz, right, and, and Hezekiah b before um, everything went down with the Assyrians, you know, you've got this people that, hey, they were doing really well off, right? They actually had a lot of money. They were engaging in a lot of trade, right? Things were going mm -hmm. well for them, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and yet they were faithless. Yet Isaiah says they were blind and deaf and all of the rest, right? And so now here, this is a different child, or or perhaps it's a child that has been chastened, has been disciplined, right? This is this is after the blows have landed. This is after all the 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 things that were making him a spoiled child have been taken away and now there's a disciplined child that can see and can hear and will listen and will obey it it, it kind of i mean just kind of in in the kind of first level sense it feels mm -hmm. like it's like judah maybe has finally learned the lesson and i and i think that you kind of see a little bit of that in 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 ezra and nehemiah that you know when 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 Ezra and Nehemiah are, are leading the exiles um, who are who have come home now. They're like saying, "Hey, you know what? We're actually going to listen to to the teaching of God now. <laughs> Read it out loud. We're going to follow it. We're we're, we're done <laughs> messing around with this." To God. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate your bringing it into that that first level because my mind so often jumps to the final level of Jesus. Right. who was that perfect son who should have just gone to heaven and, and sat there on the throne, but instead he became the, the, the servant who was beaten, abused, who became blind and deaf uh, because he took on our sin, took on our punishment uh, so that we would be free of it. Right, exactly. And, and the thing is, we, we know that, there, you have to have that true Judah, that, that spiritual Judah, that heavenly Judah, because even after the exiles come back, right, and, you know, and, and in many ways, they, they, they do, honestly, a better job um, in, in some respects. Like, they, they don't go, I mean, in, in, as far as this, they don't do the outright syncretism anymore. Uh, oh, okay, sure, yeah. You know, yeah. like, they, they don't outright do, okay, we're going to worship Yahweh, and we're also going to worship this other foreign Canaanite, uh, you know, goddess or something oh, alongside yeah. him as as his consort that's what they were doing before mm -hmm, the exile mm -hmm, right but mm -hmm. to their credit like after the exile they weren't doing that anymore they're like no no we're, we're done with that syncretism stuff it's just god we're actually okay we we figured it out monotheism right uh, and so on that kind of outward level yes they were doing a better job but then you see what's going on um, but then the Seleucids come in, then the, the Greeks um, before them, and then the Romans. And so still the people of God are being punished. They're being disciplined. Well, what did they do wrong? I thought they were, you know, keeping the first commandment. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, it turns out that there are other ways to commit idolatry besides just <laughs> worshiping in terms of syncretism, right? I mean, that, and, that, and that's actually the, the hard oh. thing. That, that Jesus has to come onto the scene and start teaching uh -huh. people is, hey, uh -huh. you, you guys are all saying, oh, we're keeping the law. 
and we haven't broken anything and we're not committing any idolatry. You know, how could you say that we're doing anything idolatrous? You know, no gods in this temple except for the one true God, right? But the thing is, there's an idolatry of the heart. And until we deal with the heart of the matter, we're not really going to have like a full and true salvation. And truthfully known for all of the listeners, and I say this for myself, really until we get to heaven, uh, the Lord will be working upon our hearts and continually showing us times that we are idolatrous and then how we're forgiven again and again and again. Right. No, that's, that's right. And, you know, Luther describes that, that every single day is a day of repentance. Every single yeah. day is a day where that, that old sinful nature has to be drowned, that the new man that God is making in us can can come and well like just like this says morning by morning he awakens i mean what what a picture right morning by morning he awakens he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught i mean this is a picture of us i mean really yeah, in our baptism that every every morning we have to be woken up by god and made alive um so so that he he, he can live more to him and that, that part of us that is the rebellious child that the child that, that wants to run away from God can can die and be put down, and that the new child, the true child, can come to life. I mean, that's it's, it's a daily process. And we see that reflected extremely in this chapter. Verse 7 and verse 9 repeats it, and uh, we hear gospel of what God is doing, and then in 7 and 9 we can really see the reflection of where we can respond from a heart that's forgiven. Um, the Lord helps me. The Lord helps me. Even right. in the midst of whatever struggles, problems, difficulties, even when we wake up and the Lord uh, comes to us new in the morning, and, and with that we realize, oh my gosh, did I really do that yesterday? Oh, Lord, please forgive me. And it's, uh, to the world, nothing. But to Him, God who sees the heart, it is something. Verse 7 and 9, the Lord as our helper who helps me. That's where we find our great comfort and, and support. Right. Well, you know, and that's, it's, um, I mean, really, it's, it's really interesting how, just like we were saying, in, in the kind of local context, yeah, this, this does seem like it's a picture of the Judean community, right? Um, mm -hmm. But it's ultimately, it, they're not going to even going to be able to do it themselves, right? We, we cannot complete our repentance um, on our own. It, it's not like on our own steam. Like we're just like, you know what? Finally, I'm going to make a decision today. No more. Right. I mean, like it doesn't matter how many times we make that new year's resolution. It's not ever actually going to be done away with and, and finalized. God has to come into our own flesh and make that resolution for us. And that's what Jesus mm -hmm. says. That's, that's mm -hmm. Jesus coming into our flesh and saying, you guys can't repent, can you? Well, I will repent for you, you know. And, and then when we repent, we're only doing it because we're we're hanging on to Jesus, <laughs> and He's the one who's who's taking us and leading us there. Let, let's go ahead and read. Um, cause you've you've been mentioning these these verses here. We should go ahead and get them read out loud here and have them in our ears, right? Yeah. Just like we were please. saying, have God uh, awaken this in our ears so that we can speak having heard first. Let's read these next three verses. But the Lord God helps me. 
Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Uh, all three of these just fascinating verses. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, God, God helps me, right? You know, God is, I mean, this is really, uh, I mean, in that context there, I've not been disgraced. You know, Judah is able to accept its role in all this in this stage of the game here um, because it, Judah understands that all this terribleness that's happened, right, when it seemed like God's people were wiped out, when it seemed like, you know, hey, there's not going to be any Israel anymore. It's just Babylonians now, right? Um, that all of that really was God's hand, and it was a hard hand of, of punishment and discipline, but God was the one who was behind it. And so there, there is a grace that, that God gave his people, that the people who came back from exile were able to accept that, you know, all that shame that they had endured, everything under the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and even even the, some of the things that's, that are going to happen with um, some of the, 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 even under the Persians, um, mm-hmm. that, that that's something that they can accept because they see God in all of it, right? It's, on, it's only through God that we can, that we can deal with these things that yeah. happen um, in, in, this, with what you in this mortal life. And what you just said, it's an amazing thing that, that I see people struggling with today, that, that uh, they somewhat feel, because circumstances have gone against them, that God's left them or abandoned right. them or has, has uh, um, let them go to their own devices and he's not helping. But when we can see that he is in all of it, even when the circumstances aren't good, that he has not left us, but he is there that's when we see and can say, the Lord is my helper. It's something that, yes. that we all need to get to, but it's so hard at times. So hard. And that, that's what faith is all about. Right. Right. See, seeing those things that um, are not normally seeing, seeing the God's perspective on all of this. And, yeah. you know, and, yeah, and, and that's exactly... And that's exactly what you get in Revelation. Actually, I was going to mention that earlier when, when you were speaking yeah. uh, about the, about the child again. Going back to that, in, in the book of Revelation, um, we always—it's uh, easy to forget. It's not Revelations. It's um, it's Revelation because it's, it's the revelation singular of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. to John. So it's actually like the perspective of Jesus on everything that's going on, right? The perspective of God on everything that's going on. It's been re- being revealed. To John, and what does he see in this in this revelation, in the perspective that God is sharing with him? He has this vision of a woman who's being pursued by a dragon, and this woman, um, as she's being pursued, she gives birth to a son, right? And then they're just pursued by this dragon all the more. But before the the child can be devoured by this dragon, the the son gets away and is is lifted up into heaven. And so this is just a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating little scene there. And you're asking yourself, well, hang on a second. So who's the child and who's the son? Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's really easy to, to say, well, look, that's just Mary and Jesus, right? And on a certain level, that's right. Um, but, but the thing is, 
what you got to understand is it's not just Mary. Whenever you talk about Mary in the, the Christian sense, you, you got to see that Mary is a symbol for the entire Christian church, the bride of Christ, right? That's the language that you see in Paul, that, you know, the church is the bride of of God, um, that bride without any wrinkle or spot or blemish. Right. And so it's, I mean, really it's a very fascinating way of looking at it, that the people of God, the church, um, gives birth by God's grace to the Messiah. I mean, the Messiah is born from God's people. And, and it's that image that really, I think very nicely parallels what we have here in Isaiah, that idea mm-hmm. that, you know, there's this people and they have not been divorced. They're, they're, they're far away and, and they're on the run, right? They've been separated, but they are not, um, cut off. And that son that comes from that people of God is the one who's going to turn around and actually end up destroying the dragon once and for all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful picture. So, and then what you see then in the gospel, because this is very interesting, you have this uh, line here, therefore I have set my face like flint, and there's this line, and I think it's in Luke, um, where it says here that Jesus sets his face, kind of the same phrase, to go to Jerusalem, you know, and it's this very, it's this interesting moment of resolution, right? And we were just talking about that, how you know, how is this repentance going to happen? Is it by our resolution? Is it by the exiles getting together and saying, hey, look, no more idols, no more idolatry. We're going to get this right now, right? Is it by our resolution? No. In the end, it's going to have to be the true Judah, the heavenly Judah that actually does this, Jesus Christ. And he sets his face like like a flint to actually follow God. And And how is he setting his face? Well, it's right there in Luke chapter 9. He sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He sets his face to go to the cross. I'm probably saying something here or asking the question that seems a little redundant, but maybe not for some of the listeners. That phrase, set your face like flint. If I understand correctly, flint is a very flat rock. It's solid and it's immovable. Would you say that's the picture this is trying to show? Well, I think the idea is that you you have to set a flint in place, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but, like, you know, I don't know what. My wife and I, we like watching Survivor, if anyone um, uh-huh. likes that show. But, like, yeah. in every, every, every season, you have to have a flint if you're going to make fire. But the thing is, you can't use flint unless that flint is held in place because it's got to be held in place tightly and firmly enough so that you can get a spark going, right? It does you no good if when you hit the flint, the flint just like goes like two feet to the left or to the right, right? Because you just, uh. you're knocking it around. It's not productive unless you set it firmly so that it doesn't move. So you have to set that flint so that even when it's struck, um, it's not going to move. And that's actually what's going to make it productive. So, I mean... If that's right, it's very interesting than the idea of I gave my back to those who strike and to and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard, right? Like if, if our Lord is the one who is set like Flint who won't move even when the blows land upon him, that's what lights the spark of salvation for us. Yeah, 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 thanks, thanks. 
I thought there might be something more to that, and and I don't watch Survivor myself, so I, I appreciate the picture imagery there. That I I had to look up. Uh, there's a reference uh, to Second Samuel chapter ten when you pull out your uh, your beard. Um, David, uh, one of the what was it? The Ammonites. The king died, and mm-hmm. so he sent a, 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 a group of people uh, as representatives of him to. Acknowledge the his sympathy and sadness that the king died. Well, the people thought he was just coming to spy the land, so they mistreated the people. They shaved off half their beard and half mm-hmm. of their clothes, and they were just absolutely humiliated. And uh, as the story goes in 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 Second uh, Samuel ten, David said, um, "I forgot what city. Go to this city until your beard grows back." And then he, David, took a vengeance upon those people with armies and and. Uh, pretty well whipped them uh, twice mm. uh, because of this. And so the, the shame that people would have when a beard is taken off in that culture, uh, it, it was, was uh, uh, severe, very severe. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that actually it's in, it's in the first five books of the Bible that, that God actually like, um, he rules out like it's like in like the law of Moses, like you can't shave your beard. Like it's that, mm. that is like, that it's like just a no, no. Um, which is, I think part of the reason why we have, I mean, if you, if you guys, if you, if you ever have seen, um, Orthodox Jews today, like they all have these, these big beards, right? And, Long um, beards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so to have your, I, beard I've got to admit, out, I missed that where it says, don't shave your beard. I just never thought about that. I think it's right, right, right there next to like, don't get any tattoos. Yeah. You know, there was a long list of, yeah, there's a long list of those sorts of things. Um, and so, right. It would have been, it would have been shameful because of course now you didn't do that yourself. You, you had someone else did that to you. Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is everyone would see you still and you'd be like, Whoa, why, why don't they have a beard? Right. I mean, it would, it would yeah. have been shameful still just in and of itself. And there's only half the beard, which is even worse. Uh, well, right. Yeah. One just, side. That's right. You just would have looked terrible also. Right. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Bad yeah, hair. So, day. Bad. Yeah. Hair exactly, day. exactly. 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 So, so right. So, you know, you, you've got this, that, you know, our Lord Jesus, right. You know, he sets himself to go to Jerusalem, um, as the true Judah and he endures this discipline of God. And it's not even the discipline that he needs. It's not as if Jesus like needed to be taught a lesson or something like that. It's that we did, you know, and so all the all the blows and the punishment and the chastisement that we all deserve are placed on him. But he's like a flint; he doesn't move. He doesn't. He doesn't give an inch. Um, he he goes and um, and actually, you know, you and I, brother, we were just talking before the program about about Jacob holding on to God. I mean, he holds on mm-hmm. to God and he does not move. Like you know, he is mm-hmm. the true Jacob, who you know, even when he is broken, even when he is made limp says, I'm not going anywhere until you bless me. Um, and that's why he said all the way to the tomb. And then God did bless him when he was Indeed. taken out of there on the third day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go on to verse 10 and 11, because I love the imagery of these two verses. Oh my goodness. Oh my yeah, goodness. Ab- absolutely. Let's, let's finish this off your last two verses here. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. 
Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. All right. The picture so this, here is walking in darkness. And yeah. how do you get out of darkness? And and verse 11 talks about how you light your own branch. You light your own torch so you can see your way. Isn't that so much what we try to do? We try to figure out a cunning, scheming way. We, we, we will scramble to think of ways that we can do things. Uh, we're always trying to be like God. And these verses talk about how that will just end in torment. But right. instead, when we walk in darkness, trust in the Lord. And for me, that brings back to mind one of my favorite verses from First John. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Um, yes. And the, the whole light-darkness talk there, that we have light only when we cling to Jesus, because he is the true light. Well, and isn't that interesting, too, in the context here? I was just talking about the flint, right? You need to strike the flint so that it produces the spark and lights. It kindles a fire, right? That's yeah. what's mentioned in 11. And so isn't that interesting? It's like, hang on a second. Just in case you don't want to listen to my servant, who is the flint, who's going to light this fire, who's going to give uh -huh. you true light, right? Don't, don't try to do this on your own. Don't use your own flint. Don't try to light your own fire that's not going to work. And it goes back to that, that Passover imagery. You didn't really talk about that much, but back in verse two and three, just, um, you know, I clothe the heavens with blackness, right? Um, yeah. And then the dry up the sea, you know, it goes back to the Exodus. God was the one who with that fire, that cloud, that pillar of fire, who was mm -hmm. making light and darkness to save his people. It's only God's own salvation that's going to be our light in this dark place. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was only 11 verses, but so, so much in there. I feel like we, oh, uh, we, you could, we it would be easier to go much deeper even, but we see oh, that absolutely. our Lord Jesus absolutely. is the, the true Judah, the true light. Thank you very much, brother. Always a pleasure having you on. Looking forward Indeed, to next time. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor David Andrus, pastor of Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and also pastor to Not Alone Ministries at not-alone.net. Thanks for joining us. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.